0: Halle hello, everyone, and welcome to the most rebooted game dev podcast in the world, House of Games. I'm your co-host Rune, and today I'm joined by not one, not two, but three hosts. Now, today we're gonna talk about a, I guess, a reboot. So let's head inside the game house and see what this week's episode has to offer.
1: Welcome to our guests Anna and Simon from Shaping Games. So, first of all, I guess the best thing would be for you to introduce yourselves. Who are you? Uh, could you tell us uh, something about what you do and, and why you're here, perhaps?
2: Sure. I'm Simon Berthvist, and I'm the director of Shaping Games. We're working on a Willemek reboot and uh, have also worked on games with uh, Lilla Spucket Laban in the past. And I think we were invited because of Milimic, since it's so beloved. <laughs> and we're working on bringing that to life now.
3: Yeah, so good morning, everyone. I'm Anna Fru. I also work at Shaping Games, and I'm a project manager there. And I can only apologize for the drilling that started as soon as we <laughs> began the podcast. So if my voice is accompanied by a drone, then that is my neighbors building something in the background.
0: Maybe it's Muller himself. himself.
3: Yeah. Maybe it's Muller that's it. The spirit of Muller is with uh-huh. us today. Yeah.
2: It's just some sound effects from the games, you know. <laughs>
3: <It's> ambient noise, <laughs> ambient noise.
1: So uh, my first question is, uh, since we're actually doing this podcast in English, so... I did some research on Wikipedia and Mulle in Swedish has an English name, Gary Gadget, I think it is. Yes! How will that be going forward? It's, because I've seen some articles about the game and uh, some reading and as I see now, it's usually referred to the Swedish name. So going forward, do you think it's going to be the Swedish name only or are you going to be more localized as it were with the old games?
3: Uh, I'm probably best placed to answer that. So when I'm not at Shaping Games, I work with the Mullamech IP. So I work with uh, Jens, the illustrator, and George, the author. And basically the Mullamech's been known by different names in different countries. So Gary Gadget was the American name for Mulamek, um and was used in the game in America. And then Freddy Fixer, is uh, what he's known as in England in book form. So Muller's well, got a few names that have gone on over the years. And I guess because it's an IP that's been around for 30 years this year, so we could all like, uh, well done Muller, you've made it. We've been here 30 years now, so it's our 30 years jubilee. Of course, it's changed as the years have gone by and localisation is always going to have to be done at the time and appropriately for the market that you're working in in that period. So, yeah, I think it's a big fat. It depends where where we uh, publish it and exactly how it goes. So, for example, in the Russian market, he's known as Mulamek. So, yeah, Ukraine, Mulamek, yeah.
1: Interesting, yeah. And since this ties a little bit into our last episode where we talked about reboots and remakes and remasters and I read on your website that this is a reboot so do you want to talk a little bit about what does that mean? Is Does it mean that you want to do like re- remaster the, the old games to just bring them to a new platform or are you going to do new games entirely or is it some kind of hybrid or what is the strategy? Is there something you can uh, tell us? Sure.
2: We can tell you right away that we're making new games that we make sure have the same feeling as the original series. It's not a remake. It's not a remaster. We're not remaking it bit for bit, but we're looking a lot at the original game series and trying to understand what was so great about them and also you know, bringing in a new story, bringing in new gameplay and uh, modernizing it while doing that because there are some parts of the original games that weren't necessarily so fun that we could definitely make a lot more fun with the tools we have today.
3: Yeah, technology's moved on a lot in the meantime, so there's some really uh, hilarious things that you would just absolutely not do with uh, modern technology, but were totally appropriate at the time.
0: I watched some gameplays of Mullmek yesterday, of course I played it when I was a kid as well. It was funny to watch the gameplay because I never made it to like, I was very young, I guess. So I didn't quite get it that you had to get this to get stronger engine and all that stuff. But I was thinking it it sort of felt like a a point and click Metrovania type of game when I just watched the game, like Let's Play of, of the game, because you have these you need these items to make it further into the game and it's also some backtracking and obviously it's a point and click adventure so is the the reboot is going to be that as well a point and click or is it gonna how, how far how close to the original game do you think it will be by the time it's done
2: well for this first game in the reboot series we're staying very close to the original in terms of that sort of gameplay like Building your car, going out onto the map, and driving around visiting people in the community. So it's going to be a similar gameplay. A surprising amount of people have called it a point-and-click game recently in, in my vicinity because that's not something that i have uh, not a label that I've wanted to put on it myself. So I'm very interested in hearing like your thoughts on how how you would categorize it as a point-and-click game. Huh?
0: Well, just simply because you move use the mouse and move around and pick up stuff and place them. Like, I haven't played that many point-and-click adventures. Uh, I remember playing Broken Sword on uh, PlayStation 1 back in the day as well. And Mullimek when I was a kid. Of course, back then I didn't think about it as a a point-and-click adventure. But now that I look at it, I just... I don't know, that's... But like, point-and-click metrovania is something I think about because of that sort of back and forth. But I'm interested, what do you consider the game being?
2: Yeah, because when when I think point-and-click, I think back to games like Monkey Island and, you know, very role-play game-ish point-and-click games where you move around and pick up items and do quests, which I realize as I say it is very much what you do <laughs> in <Minimik>. a <laughs> but with a car instead of your legs, basically, so I... I I'm sort of buying into it more and more as people tell me that they think it's a point and click game, but it's not come naturally to me.
3: No, I guess it's how you define point and click in terms of mechanics. So does point and click mean you must only navigate the world using a mouse and clicking? Or could a point and click still be done on a mobile with a touchscreen and in an original Format you were driving using the arrow keys, for example. So is it no longer a point and click because you're using arrow keys? It's like where where's the line? I don't I don't know. I guess it depends who you're talking to.
1: Actually, I was gonna bring up that exact point that uh, to nitpick, you can actually drive the car or boat or airplane with the arrow keys. So it's not entirely point and click. But I would think that the one of the defining things with a point-and-click game, what you expect from it. Because if you would make a hard line, you could call the real-time strategy games point-and-click as well, because that's what you do in there. Yes. But the difference is that usually what you expect with a point-and-click game is that it lacks sort of a real-time element to it uh, often. So that usually, except for some, some minor uh, things maybe, that... There, you when you click something, there's no, there's not not gonna be an immediate reaction before you click something else or or something. You're sort of more, it's more of a what we call it like a visual novel almost, I guess. But I'm not sure I would categorize it as a the franchise at least as a point and click, especially with the airplane game because you could uh, that's more 3D so. Not sure.
3: Yeah, it's interesting what you say about time-based things, because as someone with a um, repetitive strain injury in my hand, I very much noticed in a game, is only pointing and clicking. So it's like, oh, so is The Sims a point and click then? Because you there is only one mechanic in The Sims, and that is pointing and clicking. But it does have that time element to it that you're talking about. So stuff is going on in the world when you are not doing pointing and clicking. So perhaps what you're talking about is, is it still going to be this kind of storybook almost? And I guess there's a, a natural connection there because it is a children's book IP. So that's what you associate with it as well.
2: To bring it back to what you asked me, like, what do I consider Mulamek to be then? I don't think I've been able to put a label or genre on it like that yet. I've broken it down more in terms of what the gameplay loop is and realized that you know you you build your car, you go out into the world, you do a quest, then you get an item of some sort, and then you return, iterate on your car, and rinse and repeat, you know? But I, I don't know what genre Millimic is, really. So this is a great discussion.
0: Mm. Yeah, I asked you... Well, I just kind of thought point and click, but uh, I told Oda the previous episodes that uh, one of my games here in Japan was considered a graphic novel with gameplay, while in the West it was approached as a 2D B movie sort of Resident Evil adventure. So it is really weird, and I recently released a game, and then I sort of like, ah, is this a Metrovania or is it just like a 2D platformer adventure exploring game? I I sort of i don't want to put words in your mouth but i agree i guess maybe that it's i don't like to do that like to to say what exact genre it is because it becomes so wish-washy nowadays because games are so many things you for example like adventure games always have a little bit of rpg mechanics in them and so on so it it, it, everything becomes quite blurry Uh, i like to say it is what it is but then of course as a reviewer or someone who's gonna recommend your game or something they might wanna put a label on the game to sort of interest others or themselves even because obviously if you have a point-and-click sort of hashtag on your game let's say on Steam then you will get a lot of point-and-click fans that's gonna come up in their algorithms and all that so I guess that's what genres are important to why they are important but at the same time I sort of think that it is what it is
3: yeah i guess genre is a marketing tool mm. is what you're thinking about there and being careful about okay if we say it is a point of click making sure it actually is mm. a point and click so that people who then want to literally buy into it mm. being a point of click aren't then left bitterly disappointed because we do not meet the expectations of a point of click
2: i think this applies to making a game like lemic where i'm not really sure what the genre is but i've i've had the opposite experience of what you're talking about here with another game that i've been working on where when we finally discovered what genre it was that made it so much easier to go forward it was a vr game that i'm I'm working on called toss and we realized that this is a platformer and that allowed us to finally start putting a lot of platformer elements into that game so that that was something that that made it easier to keep going and explore what the game just might be
0: Interesting. So you realized that sort of halfway through the project, almost.
2: Sort of, yeah. And it's a VR game. So we had to explore the gameplay, like the core game loop a lot first and just making sure that the controls were feeling great. And we had made something that was fun and we wanted to explore, like, how can we make it more fun? And to do that, we, we sort of had to put that label on it to know which direction we could go. Putting the, those boundaries on it made it easier to feel the creative freedom flowing.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah,
2: that's cool.
1: Before we continue talking about the future, I'm uh, interested in the past of Mulemek. So you talked a little bit about things you would not do with the technology these days. So do you have access to the original source code or are you working like only from a compiled copy and trying to reverse engineer that somehow? Or how is the situation basically?
3: Well, the technology is totally different. Even if you were going to do a straight remake, which we're not, it would not make sense to use the original code because it wouldn't work.
2: Yeah, remember that the first game came out in 1997. It's been quite a while. Uh, It's now 2023 (laughs) (laughs) for posterity to whoever's listening to this in 20 years. And we're now working with actual game engines instead of building something on our own. So we're looking at it as something we're exploring more. I want to call it spiritually, or Mm. you know, we're lifting out all the things that we want to add to a new game. So we're not reusing. Or we're not looking at the original code or anything like that. We're making something new.
1: So what tech stack are you using? Are you using Unity or Unreal or any of those engines?
2: We're using Unity. Plain and simple.
1: Yeah.
0: I have a, a question too about... Uh, you mentioned that you also
2: worked on Laban.
0: Did you say that? Laban?
2: That's right. pocket Laban or Little Ghost Godfrey.
0: Free. Uh, is that a Swedish thing or is that a... Yes. Uh, okay. So is that like, sorry for my stupidity and ignorance, but is that like the same sort of creators who made Mulemek and Laban? And and how do you get these IPs? Is, I guess, my question.
2: No, not at all, actually. About two years back now, I think, I, I was in touch with two very different people regarding two very different IPs. One of them being Mulemek, and that's how Anna and I met. And another person that wanted to make a game with Lille Loban Laban, and needed someone to develop it. So, it's it's two very different IPs.
1: Okay. Cool. Would you say that in a given that you would be able to get every IP that you wanted to work on, and uh, given that you, let's pretend that you have unlimited (laughs) resources, is there any additional games that you would... uh...
0: Can we Tweak the question to it has to be a sort of shyly piece like Mulemek and Lalan. So what would be what would be your sort of...
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was exactly what I was coming to. So, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, what I was going to say was that in the 90s, especially in early 2000s, I, I would say that in Sweden we had like a really big gaming scene for children. We had a lot of games coming out that I don't know if that was beyond maybe the US and Japan, that that was very common in the rest of the world that we had like that amount of children's games from all kinds of book IPs and and similar things. So given that you would have unlimited resources, would you want to do more like reboots or something else with the things that we have in the back catalog, so to speak?
2: Yeah, you're thinking of all the multimedia games that came out back then, which was sort of like the genre of them, I suppose, bringing it back to discussion of point-and-click games. I think you could just sort of call them all multimedia games, which isn't really a term that's used anymore. I I guess I'm sort of on this quest to recreate my childhood. (laughs) No, but yeah, that's definitely the kind of games that we want to be working on. That's what shaping games is all about, creating... What I I believe is meaningful games, which would be games for kids that teach them great values. That's really the goal and the vision of, uh, of the company to, to work on these kinds of games.
3: Yes, and I guess there's a bit of a literary connection going on, certainly at this stage, in terms of using children's IP that doesn't only exist within the gaming sphere, but also has this wealth of material within other things like the books or small films or audio just lots of beautiful illustration as well i think one of the major attractions certainly for me in working with children is there's just some really great art out there that i'd love to work Mm. with and do more stuff with
0: i watched uh, bam the movies recently and Damn, it's that graphics. I mean, it's like GBD Studio quality. It's so beautiful looking. (laughs) I was thinking how cool it would be to, as someone who's have a, my, my son turns three next month. Like, I was thinking it would be cool to make like a, imagine like Donkey Kong Country 2D sort of adventure game. But you can play two player with your son. Obviously he's three, so he won't be good at it. But just like in Donkey Kong, you can pick up your little monkey friend. So let's say we play together and then I need to help my son at times and pick him up and sort of help him. And that, this would also make us bond was my idea. And then let's say there is like a, a door that you can't open. And I was also imagining this being like a game. So you're playing with Bumpsy and Lilliskut and their beautiful graphics, the style they have there. And then like imagine there's a door and then I can't get through because I'm Bumpsy and I'm too big. And then I sort of chop him off my shoulder, Lilliskut. And then my son has to sort of run around this door and open it from the other side. So that would be like a quite simple thing. Maybe no enemies or no pitfalls or anything like that. But just to sort of... So the father, in this case, has to rely on his son too. So that's like a... It will sort of create some sort of a, we help each other out scenario there.
3: Mm. Co- Parent-child co-op. Yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So And I thought like now that... Kids like us or adults like us, we grew up when games were... I mean, you know, when we started playing games, we were all kids. And then now the kids are the ones who makes the games, so to speak. And thats it's interesting that. And I hope uh, we see those types of games where, I don't know, you can sort of make the, the child and the, the, the parents bond in a different way. But at the same time, make it fun for bo- both the parents and the, the kids. So I hope uh, you guys keep making awesome shil- children games, children's games.
2: Yeah, we've been discussing how you would be able to go about mechanics like that in general like because we, we've been having the same sort of ideas and we've been looking at the same at the market that you're talking about here which would be nostalgics and gamers that are now parents and want to play games with their kids and bond. It's a very interesting market I think. And I love your idea. It sounds sort of like it takes two, but for, <laughs> but with Pamsa. <bumps. laughs> yeah. Maybe we can get Joseph Farris on the project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One more thing, like it's not about kids, but it, you said it's an interesting market to explore. And I think that's quite like the people who made games when we grew up, they are now getting really old. That's also quite interesting market to explore sort of games that are sort of adapted to old people who are kind of slow and, you know, not as quick as they used to be. So that's also quite an interesting thing that I would think we will see more of in the future too, whenever, like, 80-year-old is uh, retired and, and, and can't play games as he used to, or whatever. So that's also quite interesting.
3: Then you throw um, Grandpa Lilliskut through the door. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, grump- yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, no, and then Grandpa does it. Because there are um, certain things around, kind of dexterity and reaction time, that would still be relevant in an older age. No,
2: group. true that. Yeah, hmm. yeah, and I'm I'm of the same mindset. I believe that games will be able to become this generational. Thing. And I think you sort of have to be brave to start building for that right now, because that's, that means that your game has to be around for a very long time if, if you want it to, you know, sort of come back later and be played by three generations at the same time, like a grandpa, a parent, and their kid. And technology doesn't really have, it's not well known for being so allowing for old games to be played, but it would be interesting to see like when we could be there, when we, could make things that are stable enough to actually last for 20 years mm. digitally because right now we we don't really have that it's
0: funny when you said three generations all i thought about was like a three-player game where you play with your grandpa and your son and yourself and the grandpa is like the slow player <laughs> and <then laughs> you're the quick one and then your kid and then you have to it's sort the chaotic
3: one yeah 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 <laughs> yeah or in my family it's probably grandma that's the Chaotic one going around messing messing with things. Like my mother has a reputation for saying she doesn't understand what's going on in games, but then annihilating everyone mm. else. And so she's going, "Oh, I don't know what I'm doing." So it like destroys everything.
0: But imagine that game with like some sort of story too, and then eventually yeah. you have to put your grandma in like a wheelchair in the game, and then she's like, "This is humiliating." And then, but it's just like. <laughs> It has something to do with the story, so the three of you can sort of bond over this beautiful story told through three generations in the game.
1: I'm uh, interested in uh, the new game, so I have a couple of questions. So the first two that I can think of is, first of all, and most importantly, what will you do about voice acting? Because I think a lot of older fans that would want to introduce this franchise to their kids are hoping for... Reusing the same, if possible, voice actors for the new games. And secondly, I read somewhere that a rumor that this game will focus more on electric vehicles. And also, what can you tell us in general about uh, the new game? What can you expect?
2: I'll start with your second part of the question about the new game. That's true. We've confirmed it publicly before (laughs) that the game that we're making right now is about electrical cars and electrical vehicles. And it really feels like the, the best way to treat a reboot in this time and age to have it be familiar, but something new at the same time. So we're going to have Mullah exploring, you know, learning to begin with how to make electrical vehicles because that's not his forte. That's not what he does in, in general, work with wires and electrical, stuff like that. So he's going to need some help from friends around the community. That means that we're also going to have some different kind of car parts that you're going to need to find and uh, get and upgrade your car with to be able to go further and have stronger engines and so forth. And instead of having gas stations, of course, we're wanting Mullet to actually build sustainable charging stations around the town, like solar stations and hydro stations and stuff like that. So that's going to be sort of like this joint effort to make the community better while also allowing Mullet to travel further, because now he has a charging station that he can stop by as he explores the map.
3: And this is all totally in line with what's going on in the book world in Mullemeck as well. So on the 3rd of February in Friends Arena in uh, Stockholm, we will be launching Mullemeck Builds an Electric Car, the latest book in the series. And so there's uh, <laughs> we don't have the whole arena just for launching this book. It's part of the um, Stockholm E Car Expo. I'm assuming this podcast is going to come out after, but uh, <laughs> but anyone who happened to have been there may have uh, seen an exhibition that we're putting together where kids can come in and interact with like this giant cog wall that we're building up one of the sides, and then they can build the cogs, turn the wheel, and it lights up some lights on Volvo's new version of an electric car, and you can go and mess with the car and build other stuff, which is why I have loads of cogs behind me oh, cool. <laughs> at <Wow>. the moment <laughs> getting ready for this um, book launch. So Mullumet built an electric car is happening in story on the liter- literary side as well. So this all kind of syncs up with the wider story and thought process that's going around for the original creators as well. So it's not something that only Simon and I are interested in. It's something that the original creators of Mulemec are also very passionate about.
0: And uh, the voice actor question, I also have a little side question there. Is the original game, does, do, they, do they have this Leonard Jenkel as a voice actor? Is that Mulemec's voice or who is yes. it? It sounds like, it is him.
3: Yes, it is him, and oh, really? he, still do- yeah, he still does the audiobooks to this day for the oh, Malamech wow. titles. Yeah, So he's still around as part of uh, working with Malamech stuff. Uh, to be clear, Simon and I have not formally made any kind of arrangements, so we don't want to make promises about exactly who's going to be doing what. But from a wish point of view, we would love to have him again.
1: Oh, cool. Cool, cool. Fingers crossed.
2: Exactly. And we do have some contact with Figge Fadrum, uh, or the voice actor of Figge Fadrum, yes. <laughs> uh, among others, who have expressed interest. Yeah. So we'll see who we're able to bring back and who we're going to have to you know, find a new voice for. That's going to be a fun part of the project when we get there.
0: It would be fun if Lennart Jenkel... Uh, asked for too and Yeah Jackal yeah. And not Jekyll. It would be funny If he asked for too much money And then you guys Did this Konami Kojima thing Where David Hayter For Metal Gear Solid Snake's voice Apparently was like He became a little bit uh And then uh, Ko- Kojima just Hired a different actor And made him Talk less In the game But that, oh. We don't want that In <laughs> Mulimek And yeah, also some
2: controversy oh. back in the day
0: But hopefully <laughs> Hopefully you get him
2: <laughs> yeah, let's hope we we do get him and don't have any Metal Gear Solid controversies on our hands. <laughs> yeah,
1: I have another sort of a I don't know what we call it, a factoid or something. I have a, sort of a, a an ongoing debate with a friend because we've uh, talked about these games for a long time, and both of us grew up with it. And I I don't think you perhaps could answer this question, but I'm just gonna put this out there, so if anyone listening to this podcast knows the answer to this question, I'm inviting them to comment, but I've heard or my friend claims that there is a a rumor that the source code for the original car game with Mollimek was sold to another company and turned into an invoicing system. He said <laughs> <they had> something <laughs> to be about like the Ar- architecture of the <laughs> the first game was like really good, so you could use it for like invoicing and stuff. But uh, and, and he claims that there was like an article talking about it, but I can't for the life of me find I it. So I can
3: safely say that no, neither I nor the creators of Muller have ever heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> but. I, lo- I love it as a story,
2: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, that's amazing. Yeah. I do have contact with people who have actually worked on the original games, a lot of people who have messaged me saying that they would love to you know just tell us a little bit about how it was to work on it back in the day and so I, i'm I'm gonna bring this up the next time I see someone <laughs> or talk to someone.:
3: <laughs> and- Yeah, that's it i I'm, go- I'm gonna ask, but I feel like it probably would have been mentioned. At some point,
1: (laughs) it will seem so very like disconnected with children's game and like a very (laughs) like like an invoice system. Very like the opposite.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I find that I find that quite surprising.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I don't know where he got it from, but he claims to have read like an article that like mentioned that. Like because of how the architecture were, it was like really suitable for that purpose. But
3: I uh, mean, yeah. maybe there was one particular developer that worked on it that was like, I know, <laughs> I know exactly where this could be reused. Yeah.
2: A part of me wants to find out the truth. A part of me wants just this to stay a myth forever yeah. and, and not look behind the curtains.
3: Yeah, it's kind of more fun to leave it alone in many ways because that's really funny.
1: So I'm uh, curious also about uh, shaping game in general. So I read on your website that you're doing not only games, but uh, a lot of other software and consultancy work as well. Do you want to talk more about that?
2: Well, it it used to be like that, but we're sort of moving away from that in general. So we're sort of focusing the company more and more as time moves on, which is a very natural process. The company is quite new. I, I started it last fall, 2021 so it's it's not even been a year and a half that it's existed and basically we're now a video game company and not a consultancy company anymore and are focusing on children's games
0: would you want to make your own children games ip in the future or do you guys enjoy sort of working on existing ip and if you want to do your own what uh, challenges do you see in that
2: we're creative people and there are Every every creative person has a lot of stories within them that they wanna tell in different ways. But for what Shaping Games is right now, it's a company that brings existing IPs to life and renews them and develops them further. And not a company that makes their own IPs. That's the focus that we're that we have today.
3: Because something we think really carefully about and something that really interests particularly me is the notion of legacy. And how to take things like these kinds of IPs where the original creators are moving into their eighties and they're about to round off the story as the were as it was. And so how can we work with these IPs in a way that's true to the creator's original intentions, but still keep them up to date, aligned with modern values and relevant for children and young people today? So for me, I find that very interesting, treading this balance between being very respectful of the original IP, but finding creative ways to align it with a modern society, basically.
2: Yeah, and just as I mentioned before, finding boundaries is a way to find creative freedom as well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Rules are super useful when it comes to creative stuff. When you're given a creative brief, suddenly you're away and you can think of how to do things. But if it's like, make anything, then mm. it's so much harder. <laughs> yeah.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was thinking, like as a creative person as well, I was thinking it would be more fun to make own IP, but as I'm thinking now, like there is a lot of nostalgia with like as i mentioned before i would like to make this Bumps a game and obviously that's not my own ip but damn would it be fun to work on some of these old ips that you you grew up loving it would be uh, I, I imagine it's like an honor almost to to work on these things but also are you scared of uh, sort of upsetting the, the artists who originally made them or are you in constant contact with them
3: we talk to them all the time. I'm not so, I'm not so worried about scaring the create, like, annoying the creators, or upsetting them anyway. I'm more conscious of the fact that it will be impossible for us not to annoy someone when we mm. reboot it. It's like, there is no way of making this game that will result in nobody complaining about <laughs> some element of it. So I mm. think... For us, it's more about making sure that we're true to the values we want to be communicating and having reasons behind our decisions to keep something or get rid of it that we're confident in and can stand by. Because because we're working with a nostalgic IP, we're going to get quizzed on why did you keep that and not that. And for some people, that may be a very precious part of their childhood. So we need to have a good reason why mm. it's like that's staying in the childhood and not being brought through.
2: And I feel mostly confident in in the fact that we, you know, we will get some sort of backlash. We will have people complaining, and that's all right. Like that's it's going to happen. Same sort of goes with the creators, I suppose. Like we might not always see eye to eye, and that's also okay because we're, we'll just keep the dialogue up, and things will themselves out we are allowed to you know while we do have these boundaries we are allowed to create new stuff within it we can create new characters for example and we can figure out the story on our own but we do make sure that we we get as much help as we can from the original creators because why not it helps everyone everyone It becomes more happy if we do that.
3: Yeah, and everyone benefits from more communication. And if we've done something that's really not true to the IP, then it's gone a bit wrong, actually, because we want it to fit with the IP. That's why we're working with it, because we like it.
2: Yeah, we're aligned, basically, with what we want and what the original creators want. So it's going to be okay.
1: Another question I have about the new game, so I would say that the the old games were kinda 2.5D. So would you say that the new games are 3D entirely or something more similar to the old games?
2: First I wanna know what makes you consider them two point five D.
1: So I would say I would say that it is because you have Basically, regardless if it's a car or a boat or a plane, you have only like two axes to move in usually. Or maybe I guess with planes you have technically three three directions, but usually there's sort of an overlay like on a map where you have like backwards, forward and right and left. Sure. Basically, And that, I would say, is 2.5D. But a 3D game would be where the camera is not, like, from the top but rather, like, from behind. And then you can go anywhere and like, forward, backward, left and right. And then you can go up and down also. Something like that. I think
2: I I understand what you're getting at. It's sort of like this top-down angle that you have on the map that makes it feel 2.5D for you then. Like this, because it's sort of tilted. It's not right from above it's not from the side it's somewhere in between and we're definitely looking at having a very similar feel to it in uh, in this game that we're working on right now pretty much the same feel actually just better <laughs> like one of the things that we realized as we started to look at the original game like the, the footage from that game is that whenever you started driving the engine sound would just go <laughs> like super loud. <laughs> Sorry, headphone listeners. And then as you just touched a wall or something, it instantly dropped to zero and you just stopped. So it wasn't that much fun to drive around because you sort of just stopped all the time, especially when you were a kid. And that, that became sort of part of the challenge. To not,
3: <laughs> to not bang into things. walls. Yeah.
2: Hmm. yeah. And that's something that, you know, we want to, smooth out in these new games so it's just to make that part of the experience more pleasurable but yeah like it's a very similar 2.5d feeling if 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 you will yeah
0: how far along are you with this game have you not started or 20% in or where, where are you at if you can answer that
2: yeah we can we're in the prototype phase at the moment so we're experimenting with stuff like this how we're gonna use the technology to be able to for example avoid walls and how we're gonna make the new game feel and we're working on sort of this prototype vertical slice thing at the moment.
1: Two uh, quick uh, questions so first of all do you know which platforms that you want to release it on and also are you doing localization like the earlier games or are you focusing firstly on for example Swedish and then maybe branching out after that
2: that's great I wanted to bring us back to that topic on localization actually since we started with that and I felt like we had some stuff hanging in the air but we're focusing on Swedish first despite our working language being English the game is being made for the Swedish audience first the reason that we speak English is because some people in our work team don't speak Swedish we're international crowd and we want to keep that way it's part of making the company more inclusive and having more cultures and eyes on it that will help us make the best game possible what was the first part of the question again sorry which
1: platforms (laughs) yeah exactly exactly where do you want to release it like on consoles and pc or only pc or you know
2: we've realized that this game just like the original game series is made for kids first and foremost even if we do have people that used to play the original series uh, we, we even if we do have nostalgics like myself nostalgics aren't the main audience like we, we need to make something that's fun for kids first and foremost and kids do enjoy playing on mobile today and some enjoy playing on pc as well nostalgics definitely enjoyed playing the original game on pc and we we want to you know be where our audience is so we're Right now, looking at mobile and PC, but we haven't set it in stone yet. That's part of the prototyping as well. And part of, you know, making an entire go to market strategy for the game. And we are interested in console as well, of course, but we will probably not start up with that. We will probably wait a bit until we make it for console and release it on something like mobile and PC first.
0: I think Nintendo Switch will be perfect for this type of game. I know someone who knows how to port to Nintendo Switch, and also if you want to translate it to Japanese, I know someone downstairs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe we might be in touch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Nintendo Switch does feel great for this type of game. It does. I agree.
3: Do you also happen to know anyone that does Chinese translation? Because uh, that that's our uh, biggest market for Bulovec books. We sell more in uh, China than anywhere else.
0: I know someone (laughs) who speaks Chinese in Ume. Oh, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Good friend with us, as a matter of fact. And she speaks Swedish, too. And she's lived in Sweden, I think, long enough to sort of get the Swedish culture. Because that's something that I thought was interesting. Yeah, Yeah, like when my wife translated my games, it was like they're very Japanese. So she sort of got a hang of it and it's very anime but when she helped me translate my latest game it's very westerny and it was a bit like i had to come in and explain a lot of things and she didn't quite get it but the first three games she translated was perfect and like from the japanese reviews they were very sort of pleased with the translation so i think that 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 cultural thing is important when you translate games and i also talked to a lot of translators here in tokyo that work on translations and they basically rewrite the games which you never think about when you play yeah. games but yeah. it's like a, almost a completely different game because they have to sort of translate it from a culture to another culture not yes. just the language because exactly. google can do that yeah. yeah you need to
3: take the cultural references because uh, sadly not everybody knows what sithreming is for example
1: Mm -hmm.
0: but uh my friend in uh, ume (laughs) she's lived in sweden long enough
3: yeah that she knows things like that so yeah it's taking the things that work in sweden with a nordic audience and for anyone else make no sense like Mm.
0: and she has a child so maybe she's even maybe she's perfect for this
3: yeah well maybe she's already reading the books who knows
0: yeah
1: could you just elaborate a little bit shortly about Mulemec in China? Because that's completely new to me, I never would have guessed. So tell us more about that. First of all, what is he called in China?
3: <laughs> pretty sure he's still called Mulemec, actually. Let me see, I've got all the books right next to me up here. I can't read Chinese, so I'm not going to be able to read it out to you. But the Chinese publishers are actually really, really great promoting Mullerbeck and doing events around it. They send us pictures every year of these wonderful events they do where they like build loads of cars and there's like they're like cardboard cars, so there's just all these children in little cardboard cars that they make. Ah, here we go, here's one. Nope, oh, smashing things, it's a high up shelf. There we go.
1: Ah, there's uh bad. interesting. Very cool. So could you send us a photo? I would love to have something like that for our thumbnail for this episode. Yeah,
3: sure. M- Mullamek in uh Chinese. This is uh buffer yelpatil. And here we go. I can um So there's the Swedish one. And then there's the Chinese one. So you can see them side by side, sort of.
2: I think it's interesting how we were talking about how the culture translates. And with Mulemek, the Mulemec books, they've just been straight up translated, right? Nothing's actually been changed within the books, as far as I know. So that tells us that the audience that we do have in China with the books, they love it for the Swedish culture. They want the Swedish culture to be you know, what it's all about. So that's something learning that we want to bring with us to the games as well
0: you should get uh, Greta Thunberg I don't really know what her name is the family name but uh,
1: Thunberg I think
0: yeah if it's about uh, renewal energy and all that it would be neat to have her in a in a a corner of the game somewhere (laughs) that could be good PR
3: get her in a city strike somewhere (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) she's sitting on the street she refused to get off the street because she's striking and then (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have to change your engine to an electric engine and then she get off the street and you can continue the game
3: I'm not sure uh, shutting down uh, climate protests is perhaps the message we want to <laughs> send when we're trying to promote sustainability but me-
2: no I, I was imagining <laughs> that Muller would join in on the process yes if I think
3: that would make more sense that Muller who's currently on his uh, journey into sustainable um, engineering <laughs> would well perhaps- he would
0: technically do do that if he has a like a petrol engine, and then he's trying to get through to the next scene, and then there's a little girl sitting there who refuses to get off the street, and then he has to get an electric car, and then <laughs> there you go, and they go together. They go to some protest thingy to for the environment, but I don't know if it's that much about the environment. It just sounded a little <laughs> bit like that. You just mentioned it. It's about uh, electric cars.
2: I I do have one small anecdote about Greta Thunberg. I was in San Francisco this March for Game Developer Conference, and on the street that my hotel was, walking up some of the hills in San Francisco, well known hills, and turning back, I suddenly saw like this five meter, I don't know, like three, four story tall mural of Greta Thunberg Wow. On the same street as my hotel was mm. uh, <laughs> on Mason Street in San Francisco.
0: Talk about that being Swedish culture,
2: if anything. Like, she really... She's A-list, yeah.
3: Absolutely.
2: I can send you a picture later. <laughs> because that was that was an amazing experience, to be honest. Like, I didn't know how big she was until I saw that mural in San Francisco. That uh, that was amazing.
1: We're about uh, one hour into the interview, so I think maybe you should start wrapping it up. But before we go, I think there's a couple of things. So first, I think... As you said, Anna, this episode will probably be out after your expo at uh, Friends Arena, but if you could send us the details, then we could uh, at least uh, share it as a teaser for this episode, so maybe we could get some additional crowd there, perhaps. Also, before we go, do you want to plug a website, or where can people find out more about uh, this project as it comes out?
2: Yeah, you should go to shapinggames.com and find the link to the Mulemec reboot where you can sign up for a newsletter. This really supports us in what we're doing. The more signups we have, the more that that helps us where we're at right now, which is looking for financing in general. So all the numbers that can go up helps us in that. So if you're listening to this, sign up, send it to a friend and tell them to sign up as well, and so forth. So shapinggames.com.
1: Perfect. And uh, is there anything else we could uh, direct our listeners to do to support your work or help you make this game as good as it can be?
2: I guess you can just buzz about it, you know, talk to people, spread it on forums, or on Reddit or whatever, just keep the discussion up. M- keep making Mulemech memes. Oh, that's uh, so funny. We, yeah. yeah, we <laughs> love collecting all the Mulemech <laughs> memes that we find and <laughs> drop them on, on our Slack. So the the more the more we see, the happier the happier we are, basically. And you can also send in if you have like any fan art, feel free to send it to contact at shapinggames.com as well. So send us stuff, make stuff, talk, <laughs> have fun with it.
1: Thank you so much for, to the both of you for joining us on this uh, interview. It's been really interesting to hear about something that you grew up with and something that, you know, the, there isn't much information out about it. So I'm really happy that you took time to uh, talk to us and our listeners. And thank you to everyone who listened to this podcast. Anything uh, that you would like to say before we close the episode?
2: I just also want to thank you for having us. It's been a lot of fun. Mm.
3: Yeah, thanks for having us today.
1: Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, so thank you everyone for listening and we will see you at the next episode next week. So have a good one. Yeah, Bye. 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 Bye.